revelation that we know and is even dear to us becomes cemented in our soul when we go through the agonies of life. This is where convictions are not just Bible theology, but they're yours. This is where character is built. This is where the dynamics of strength of God's kingdom is poured in to the Holy Spirit of a human heart. Things we know and preached, but kind of fade away, once again cry out to be preached. And so this sermon I'm preaching tonight is crying out in my soul to be preached. Amen. And uh, you'll just have to suffer through that. Hallelujah. Uh, I want to preach tonight from 1 Samuel chapter 15, if you have your Bible, on rebellion, the sin of the saints. Verse number 22, I'm just going to read a couple of verses of Scripture. Most of you are familiar with this uh, uh, portion of text. Verse 22, Samuel's talking to King Saul, and so Samuel said... Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams or the sacrifice or an offering of a ram. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Father, tonight we come by your blood and your spirit. God, I ask that you continue to build your church. The gates of hell not prevailing against this people, O God. Lord, you continue to give them seed to cast into the nations of the earth. Keep this work healthy and strong, God, even to your coming. God, keep the climate and the spirit of this congregation. Keep it wholesome and healthy, God. May the vision forever burn bright to cast disciples into the nations of the earth. Work your work, God, in this people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, King Saul, like many of us, was a man born out of obscurity. And as I said, that's probably the truth of most testimonies here tonight concerning your beginning with God. If we could go back for just a moment, Samuel is an old man when Saul comes on the scene. Samuel's been preaching to the people of God for many, many, many decades his fame is far and wide. He's well known on every hand. He's done great works for God. He's known up and down in the land. But Saul didn't have a clue who Samuel was. This text in chapter 9, verse 18, Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me where the prophet's house is. And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the prophet. And so here is a, an understanding. Um, Saul, uh, he's lost his father's donkeys. Um, he's after those donkeys. They can't find them. He's been gone for some time. Um, and so he's concerned about his absence and his father's worry. 
And his servant says, listen, there's a prophet in the land. This prophet is there. Perhaps he can give us divine direction. And Saul didn't have a clue who he was. He's a man born out of obscurity. When I got saved, I knew who Billy Graham was, but I'd never heard him preach. I'd never watched him on television. I, I knew basically he was a preacher, but I didn't really know what he looked like. He lived in a world that I had no clue about and very little interest. Born out of obscurity, like many and most of you this evening. And so here Saul, he's looking for Samuel because he has a need. He's lost his father's possessions. He's come to a barrier in life. He cannot on his own gather and accomplish what he wants. And that's the way most of you, if not all of you, came into the kingdom of God. You came out of a need that you couldn't meet and you couldn't feel and you didn't have an answer for. And so you begin to search or someone told you about Jesus and you came to church out of that need and out of desperation and God had a plan that far outreached anything you imagined. And you're sitting here tonight born out of obscurity by a miracle of the living God. This man had evidently some wealth. He has a servant traveling with him but he doesn't have a clue about God. God meets this man's need, but he has another plan for his life. The Bible says in chapter 9, verse 17, So when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, There he is, the man of whom I spoke to you, the one who shall reign over my people. Now here's a man of not only obscure beginning, but humble beginning. He's a country boy. When he meets Samuel, he has words of respect like, please. Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite? Of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, my family is the least of all of the families of the tribe of Benjamin. Why then do you speak this way to me? In other words, here's a man, and Samuel meets him and speaks a word about his destiny and about what God's purpose for his life is. And Saul, he looks at Samuel, and he cannot comprehend why God would do this. He says, look, why has God chosen me? I am the least of my father's house. Our tribe is the least of all the tribes. I haven't sought this. I haven't looked for this. And this is true of many people in this place and have gone out from this place tonight. They come through those doors. They come with a need, desperately looking for God. They come out of obscurity with humble beginnings. No idea what God wants to do with their life. And so they come, just like Saul. He can't comprehend these words that Samuel is speaking to him under the inspiration of God. He anoints him. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head. And he says, Is it not because the Lord anointed you to be a commander over his inheritance. 
In other words, now God says, I'm going to put things in your hand by sacred trust. God says, I have an inheritance in the earth, and now I'm going to bestow that inheritance in your hand. This is much of what living for God is about tonight. You may be saved because you have a need, but I declare to you, God has far more than that, and He will place kingdom treasures in your hand as a sacred trust. He will place His purpose in the earth into the hands of the church. He will place the destiny of the church and to, of His work into the hands of God's people. The future of our nation is in the literally in the hands of God's people. Lives, precious lives that must be nurtured and will either go to heaven or hell because they will watch you and see how you handle the treasures of God's inheritance. The Bible says in chapter 10, verse 6, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he said, you will prophesy. And the Bible says God turned him into another man, and God gave him another heart. Now, something powerful is transformed in this man's life. In other words, God does not call us without equipping us. God has not called His church to do what He's called us to do without a supernatural divine intervention into the very heart and the very life stream of this people. God said, I'll anoint you for the ministry and the commission I've placed on your life. I'm not only going to anoint you, I'm going to give you another heart. And that's what's happened to you here tonight. If you're born again, God gave you a new heart. God took a heart that was of stone, a heart that was calloused with sin, a heart that was bent on hell and the foolishness of the wickedness of this world, a heart that was filled with lust and every manner of foul, wicked perversion that man could ever imagine, and He gave you a new heart by His mercy and grace and by the power of Jesus and His blood. You did not do that. Psychiatrists could not do that. Um, a Florence prison couldn't do it for some of you. Um, all the education in the world couldn't do it for you. It was a supernatural work of the living God. The Bible says He gave this man a new heart. That heart has been a gift from God. Just like if you're saved here tonight, you need to understand God has placed a new heart in you. And that's a treasure of His kingdom. He has a humble beginning. He's grateful. He's so appreciative. He's so thankful. And the Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of the heart flows the issues of life. I wonder when Solomon wrote Proverbs if he was thinking about Saul. Because it's one thing for God to give you another heart. But let me tell you, you have to guard it. And this is a great mistake in the church world today. We want God to do everything. While well, we sit on our spiritual backslide and wonder why we're not being changed. Because here's a man that God specifically says, I put a new heart in him. And God's put a new heart in you tonight. 
But I'm going to tell you, if you don't guard it, that heart that God has given you will become cankered and twisted and become even more wicked and evil than you were before. Because rebellion is a sin tonight of the unguarded heart. In our text, if you look up at verse 17, this is before he speaks all of this stuff about rebellion. Samuel said to Saul, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel, and did not the Lord anoint you? In other words, he's referring back, he's looking back in the history of Saul's life, and when he looks back, he brings to remembrance, he says, I remember when I anointed you. You were little in your own eyes then. But you see, rebellion is a heart that's turned and shifted from God. He says, when you were. In other words, he's saying, what I see before me now is not what you were. When God originally touched you and anointed you and commissioned you. Let me ask you tonight, what does God say about you, present tense? If God got in your face tonight, would He have to say, when you were? And the connotation being, you're far from what He created. And your heart's had a horrible shift like, a, like an earthquake. And that humility and that appreciation and that thankfulness, when they went to coronate Him at His kingship, they couldn't even find this man. He had went and hid from them in the fields. And they had to go search for Him. But in our text, there's a totally different individual that we see something's changed. He's not like he was before. There's been a shift, and the Bible calls it rebellion. What Samuel's saying is, now there's things in your heart that are not from God. You're not the same man I laid hands on. In this text, if you read it in its entirety, he's arguing with Samuel. Have you obeyed the Lord, he said. And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. He's arguing. He's confrontational. He's defensive of his rebellion. His heart is so twisted away from humility and appreciation, Samuel can barely recognize him. You see, rebellion is a heart that's shifted away from obedience to God. God speaks to Samuel and says, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me, and he has not performed my commandment. You see, rebellion is a sin of the saints. It's not a sin of someone out in the streets who does not know God. It is not a sin of those who we might use the term heathen or ungodly or the lost. They're expected to rebel against God because they're ignorant. I did all kinds of things 
that I'm horribly ashamed of when I was a sinner because I was ignorant of God, had no knowledge of God. All I knew was the world and its, and its, its philosophies and its, its attitudes. But you see, when God talks about rebellion, He's talking about a man or woman who knows God and knows about God, knows what God requires, knows the voice of God, and knows the Word of God and what God expects from them. Saul is no stranger to God. God has anointed him. God has laid His hand on him. God has touched him. God has spoke to this man. He has prophesied for God. God has raised him up. And that's the individual that God says, your rebellion is like witchcraft and your stubbornness is like an idol before me. Rebellion, you see, when God speaks about it, is someone who knows to do right and does it not. It's like your children. We look at some children, they have parents who could care less, or absentee parents, or parents who are too busy to put anything into their children, and these kids almost raise themselves, and no wonder they're rebellious. They don't have a clue. That's totally different than a child who knows what's expected of them and a parent that has invested in them and a church. They've been to the house of God, been raised in church. Uh, I want to tell you, beloved, um, uh, your punishment before God is far more severe. Rebellion tonight is twofold. One side is where you set your will against godly headship. We could talk about Korah and Moses. But in this case, um, there's another whole arena here I feel that sometimes we overlook. What God is charging this man with is disobedience to His Word. He focuses on this disobedience over and over to the Word, the revealed Word of God. In verse 13, Saul says, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Verse 20, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Samuel says, Be quiet, and I'll tell you what the Lord says. Verse 22, he says, To obey is better than sacrifice. To heave than the fat of rams, rebellion is his witchcraft, and stubbornness is his iniquity, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, God has rejected you. In other words, the issue here is obedience to God's word. That's the issue of rebellion. And you want to cry out. There's something when you read this, you want to cry out. Saul, Saul, how could you rebel against God's Word? And no doubt the thought would flash through your mind, I would never do that. But I wonder how many here tonight, today you were rebel against God because you rebelled against His revealed Word. I wonder how many today laid hold of God in prayer, knowing that there's 
hundreds and possibly thousands of Scriptures that command you and I to pray. Watch and pray, watch and pray, watch and pray, pray on and on and on. And yet today, in the living actuality of our life, we said, See, sometimes we glamorize these Scriptures and don't apply them to our life. What about witnessing today? What about wedding vows? What about divorce? What about husband love your wife like Christ loved the church? But you don't do that. I'll tell you, you're a rebel before God. Wives, submit yourself unto your own husband as unto the Lord. But you don't want to do that. Well, I want to tell you, you're a living rebel before God because you have rebelled against His revealed knowledge and His will. See, sometimes we want to spiritualize our life. And we want to take the Word of God and disengage ourselves from it. I want to tell you, the issue here with Saul is the Word of God, and he rejected God's Word about his life. Anywhere you do that, you become a rebel. Anywhere you take that position, you literally set your will against God's will and His known and revealed Word. It could be tithing. It could be the Sabbath, the Lord's Day. It could be many things. But see, we don't like to think about that. We don't want to put ourselves in Saul's shoes. We know what God says. You see, Saul partially obeyed the Lord. And that's probably the trap of Christianity around the world. He went to war. God gave him a commission to go to war against the enemies of God. And as he went to war, God said, I don't want you to take any spoils. I don't want any survivors because they're queers. Through the Agagites. They were perverts. And God said, I don't want you contaminating my people with that. They're perverts. They're sexually immoral. It's like a plague. It's like leprosy in the work of God today. It's unrighteous, God says. And Samuel finally took Saul's sword and hacked Agag in pieces because God says, that's what I think about sexual perversion and adultery and fornication and homosexuality. God says, that's what I think about it. And He still thinks that tonight, regardless of what all the they say in all the marches and all that. I'll tell you, they, they won't march in heaven unless they're converted. Conversion means you turn away from your sin. You can't be a queer and live for God. I don't care who you are. You can get mad at me, walk out the doors. That's okay. I could care less sometimes. But I'm going to walk through God's doors. And you're not going to bring that slime into heaven. That's why he says no adulterer, no fornicator will enter the kingdom of God. That's plain. That's clear. He didn't stutter. 
He said, that's what I think about it. And so what we do is we want to partially obey the Lord. We want to obey the Lord where it's convenient. Here is Saul, and he obeys the Lord. He goes to battle, but he brings home the spoils. Why do people disobey God's Word? Same reason Saul disobeyed God's Word. Self-interest. Self-interest is the root of every rebellion. Samuel comes to meet Saul. Saul says basically, praise God, I'm doing His will. I've fulfilled His commission. Samuel says, what's that I hear bleeding? He's bringing all the finest sheep and all the finest livestock back. He says, oh, I'm bringing that back to sacrifice to God. And Samuel says, I want to tell you what God says. God said, you swooped down on the spoils. You're not bringing that back for God. You're bringing it back out of your own self-interest because you want it. What is God here bleeding in your life? God says, I don't want you to touch that. It's unclean. I don't want you to handle that. I don't want that in your possession. And you justify it because you want it. Doesn't mind if it'll kill you dead, leave you nothing but a quivering piece of tormented flesh. It's what this man becomes insane. Because he took that which God said, I don't want you to take. It's unclean. It's unrighteous. It's perverted. It's stained. It's soiled. God says, I don't want you to have that. But you see, self-interest has the keen ability to justify itself with God. Just like this man. What's bleeding in your life tonight? What's bleeding out before God? And you're saying, shh, 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 shh. You know, people do that. They, they come to church and, and they come dragging in this foul, unclean stuff. And they sit down and go, shh, 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 shh. And they're so spiritually ignorant, they think no one can hear. It's like a roaring plague around them. They lift their hands. That's what Saul did. He comes smiling. Praise God, Samuel. I'm doing God's will. Samuel said, you idiot. What is that stench and noise I hear around you? You're not going to fool God. What's bleeding in your life? God said, I don't want you to even, I don't want you to even, don't take that home with you. Don't bring that into my presence. Don't take it into your house. It's unclean. It's filthy. It's perverted. In this case, it was homosexuals and queers and every manner of foul uncleanness in the physical arena. 
of the flesh. See, we rebel against God's revealed word because it opposes our selfish interest. Self-interest here is Saul's real problem. There's something he desires and he wants to do and he doesn't care what God says. And so he plays the mental mind game. It's going to cost self. My welfare, my advantage, my desire, my feelings. You see, self-interest is the root of every sin. That's why people sin. Every covetous person, every liar, every time you lie, you lie for your own self-interest. To gain an advantage. To cover a sin. To deceive someone. I'll preach a sermon. I'm not sure when. Maybe Sunday night. Had a preacher make a statement to me in Malaysia. It's the most odd statement I've ever heard in all of life. He said, Pastor Campbell, you can lie and God by His Holy Spirit, can take your lie and make it a righteous lie. Every adulterer, it's self-interest. Every man or woman that backslides... They backslide because their own selfish interest twisted them away from the will and the revelation of God. Esau's sin in the Old Testament. God said, I hate this man because he sold his birthright for a bowl of porridge, a bowl of lentils, beans. Sold that which God had given him out of the interest of his own flesh. And God says, I hate this man forever. It's it's the most unusual scripture. Anyone who even lives by him are in danger. Lot's wife. Why did she look back? I mean, angels are dragging her out of this sodomite city called Sodom and Gomorrah. Angels. And God said one statement. Don't look back. And she looked back and she's forever judged to this day. Why did she look back? Because there was in her heart that selfish interest for what was left behind. Judas, the kiss of betrayal... You see, you have interest in your heart that oppose God's will. And you will have to fight this battle whether you are going to cater to your own selfish interest and rebel against the truth of God. We want to keep something. God says, I want you to give away. We want to do something. God says, I forbid that. God wants to change us. 
but it will cost self, our pride, our feelings. The Scriptures filled. God sometimes wants us to do things that may not appease our own selfish interest. God may want to take things from our life that we desperately desire. And we in our heart of hearts want them. And if you're not careful, you'll say, I don't care what God says. The last days, the Bible says, there'll be lovers of self more than lovers of God. Like Eve. We know that God says, don't eat that fruit. If you do, you're going to die. But she said, it's so desirable. That's self-interest. You live in flesh, beloved. And you're going to carry this flesh to the grave. And as the Apostle Paul says, you better beat this body and bring it into submission to the Word of the living God. It not mean physically beat this body, but it's a, it's a fighter's term of discipline. It's an athletic term of disciplining that body and make it obey and do what's right. Because in your flesh and in my flesh is a craving and a desire and an appetite for things that God says, I don't want you to touch it. And self-interest, if giving its own way, will always rebel against God. See, rebellion is a sin of the saints. There's men and women here, God in your past powerfully and wonderfully touched you like King Saul, gave you a new heart, anointed you, gave you reason for life, commissioned you. He had relationship with Samuel. God used him. God's used you, but what about tonight? I want to close with one thought. It says, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. You see, witchcraft is a mind game. Listen to me carefully. It's the loss of mental stability. It's the absence of a sound mind. I made that statement a while ago. Out of the words of a man who stood behind the pulpit. Pastor, God can take your lie and by the Holy Spirit make it a righteous lie. Now, if you enter into that kind of theology and you go down that path, there is no limit to your insanity. You know, the Scripture he used was Rahab where she lied about the spies and ended up entering the inheritance of the Lord. I said, but she didn't lie for her own purpose and her own selfish ambitions and out of her own interest. And even then, there's a truckload of Scriptures that says the devil's a liar and the father of lies. And you enter that arena, there's no turning back in your mind. 
Because your mind can only function in truth. And so witchcraft, rebellion opens the door to witchcraft, which is a mental loss of stability. You lose reference points of truth. You become a victim of your own thinking. Saul is so deceived, he thinks he's right. And he has become a genius in his deceit. You see, when you rebel against God and you continue to rebel, there was a space of grace in this man's life, but there became a time as he rebelled against God that his mind became demonically inspired. Things were broken down in Saul's mind. This whole conversation, if you read it in its entirety, he's denying his rebellion. He's blaming the people of God. And when he's finally nailed down, he says, okay, but now honor me before the people. You read about his life from this point on. He's tormented. He's paranoid. You never know what he's going to do. One moment he loves David. The next he's trying to pin him to the wall with a spear. He tries to kill his own son. He's filled with jealousy and envy. He's fearful. His mind literally is broken down. Because rebellion... was what Lucifer pulled off in heaven. You see, witchcraft becomes a demonic-inspired ability to defend our rebellion. You ever have a conversation with someone who's rebelled against the revealed Word of God? You ever have a conversation with them? It's like trying to mentally wrestle with a monster. You ever have a conversation with a rebel? Let me, anyone here? It's the most bizarre thing you've ever done in all of life. They can weep. They can cry. They can slip and slide. There's false humility. There's words. You don't understand, Pastor. If you knew what I know, there's another story. If you listen to them, long enough, they always take on the position of a victim. I've been mistreated. Just had to deal with a man who's trying to steal probably a half a million to a million dollars in assets and property that God's people paid for. Be like me trying to steal this building and sell it with everything in it. People go by his house. He lives in a gated area. Ring the doorbell. He hangs out the window weeping. Look what you've done to me. What's wrong with that picture? But what's interesting, if you listen long enough, you say, yeah. Yeah, you poor soul. It's demonic inspired. Doesn't matter a million lies. Violation to people here that's invested more than 10 years. But if you listen to them long enough, you either agree, or if you're not careful, now you're the problem. Or God's unfair, 
or His Word doesn't apply to them. This is a demonic-inspired ability to justify their rebellion against God. And every one of us here tonight have that capability. When we cast off the known revelation of God... When we set our will against God's known Word and flaunt it in His face, God said witchcraft begins to happen and you will lose the ability to think soundly. Your mind will become demonic inspired. And you will be a genius at defending your cause of why you don't love your wife like Christ loves the church, or why you don't submit unto your own husband as unto the Lord, or why you don't, whatever you don't do that you know is right before God, God speaks clearly, you will become an Einstein at defending your rebellion because it's demonic inspired. It's the spirit of Lucifer and one-third of the angels that became demons. Because self-interest, there's something here that moves powerfully to self-deception when we cast off the truth of God. Samuel, verse 26, Saul says, I want you to go with me. He says, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord. They have a conversation. The torn robe. Saul is saying, please, please, and all of these words. And in verse 33, Samuel totally reverses. The Bible says in verse 31, so Samuel turned back after Saul. And you may be here tonight... And there's areas of your life that you've rebelled against God. And you may have become a master in your own mind of defending your wicked, unclean, ungodly, rebellious sin. But I want to tell you, it's building like a cesspool in your soul. And there'll come a time it'll explode all over you and everything in life that's precious to you. Because the price of rebellion is God tore the kingdom from His hand and says, I'm going to give it to another. God never spoke to Saul again as long as he lived. Saul inquired of the Lord, 27.6, and the Lord did not answer him. When you rebel against God, things are torn from your life. Kingdom treasures are torn out of your life. You rebel today, you may still be here sitting tonight. But I want to tell you, God's ripping things precious out of you. And this is what happens to rebels until they're nothing but a shredded piece 
of flesh and nothing at all of God is left. And that's what happens to this man. Nothing's left at all. He's a shredded piece of paranoia. Takes his own life, causes the death of his own sons. Because God says, I'm tearing everything I ever put in you. I'm ripping it out. And that's the portion of the rebel. God says, I'll rip everything out of you that I ever invested in. 